Hello and welcome to the Heat Check Podcast, the Miami Herald's Miami Heat Podcast. I'm David Wilson and I am joined, as always, on the other line by Anthony Chang, our Heat beat writer here at the Herald. How's it going, Anthony? Pretty good, David. How are you? Doing pretty good. Uh, we are also joined once again this week by Tim Reynolds of the Associated Press, who is inside the bubble, uh, who is at Game 5 on Tuesday. Tim, what's going on? Hello, hello. That's my... That's my Baba Booey tribute. That's as good as it gets. It's, it's a terrible Baba Booey impression. But um, bubble life is good, my guys. Bubble life is good. Yeah, Tim, I want to go to you first because you, like I said, you were at Game 5. Uh, it's now a couple days old. Um, we are recording this on, uh, what is it, Thursday morning. So Game 7 of Celtics Raptors is coming up tomorrow. We don't know who the Heat's going to face. Um but I want to go back to, well, I want to start by talking about Game 5. Um, what was it like in the building there? Heat, obviously, going to that game, no Giannis. Everyone kind of expects them to close it out. It's pretty ugly at first. And then uh, they, they kind of put it together, obviously, after the first quarter. Don't trail the rest of the way. Um, what, what did you kind of glean from just watching that first quarter, the way they turned it around, and then just kind of their, their post-game reaction uh, in person. Yeah, I mean, it, it was very, it, it just, it, it wasn't that big a deal. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there wasn't like, I mean, you guys saw the, the encore. Right. There was like nothing. Yeah, there, you know, there were, there were, they were happy. The bench was very engaged. The bench wasn't as engaged as I've seen the heat bench here in the bubble. It was a closeout game. So yeah. yes, don't get me wrong. It meant, it meant a lot period. I mean, it did. Um, but you know, the buzzer sounds, everybody goes and hugs everybody. And there was no like crazy behind the scenes, raucous celebration going on. There, there wasn't much of anything. It was okay. Next. And, and that's, that's kind of the heat way. I mean, I think the, the winds get a little more celebrated going forward. You know, I, I would expect that to be the case, obviously. But I think without Giannis, it, it definitely there, – there was a little bit of a cloud. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Heat aren't going to give it back. I mean, they'll take it for certain. But it was very much a how long are we How long are we going to be off? That was a big talking point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, you know, they, you know, some guys were even unclear what the Boston-Toronto schedule was, which speaks to how locked in they were on the Milwaukee series because – it's not that hard to figure out. It's every other day in here. It's not that hard to figure out. And there was some, you know, some guys were wondering like what's going on with that series. So, um, you know, they were off yesterday as we sit here and tape. Now they're going to do an optional walkthrough today. I think Spo was hoping for a Sunday start to the Eastern conference finals. It's looking almost certain that it's Tuesday now, mm-hmm. um, especially with Raptor Celtics going at 9 PM on Friday. I really doubt that the league is going to, Makes one of those teams come back for Sunday at one or three thirty on ABC. So, so Spo knows he's got a long time uh, to get him ready. And I'll tell you one thing: I saw from that game, though, guys and Anthony, tell me if I'm wrong. Um, this team could use a little practice right about now. I mean, they just they didn't look sharp in Game Four. They didn't look really sharp in Game Five. Good enough to win the series, obviously. But I think a few days of practice and really locking in and working on themselves again might be just what the doctor orders right now. Yeah, 16 turnovers were, I mean, they almost cost the Heat the game. And obviously that was, you know, 
they had a three-one lead, but you don't want to go to a game six and and, and obviously run the risk of of Giannis maybe returning at some point in that series. Um, so yeah, those 16 turnovers could have been costly. The Bucks finished with thir- I think 13 more field goal attempts than the Heat, uh, which I don't even know how you overcome that. Um, but the Heat played really good defense. So that's I think that's been the most impressive thing. Like the Heat's defense has been very good in the playoffs, minus that um, that game four loss to Milwaukee. Uh, the Heat's defense has been I think the fourth best defensive rating in the NBA and that, that you know, that's been the question we've spoken about it for the past few months can the Heat defense improve in the playoffs um, and it has I mean it's it's looked a lot better than it did in the regular season and you know you pair that with the Heat's usual efficient offense and that's why they're 8-1 to begin the postseason so um, to me that has been the most encouraging thing and we saw it in game five in that closeout game the offense wasn't great you had 16 turnovers you know you shoot 44 percent not terrible but not you, you know not not even at their season average, um, but they win because of their defense. And that hasn't, there haven't been many games like that for the Heat this season. But in the playoffs, uh, they've been able to do that. Yeah, you wrote yesterday basically like five takeaways from the playoff run so far as, as we've got a couple of days to to kill with not a lot, whole lot of access. And, and your biggest one was that defensive turnaround. Um, what, how? That's, that's kind of my big question is, you know, we knew that there was, you know, some personnel on the team that could be really good defensively. Obviously, it helps when your your two best players are Jimmy and Bam, and those are probably two of the you know fifteen or twenty best defensive guys in the whole league. Um, yeah, Iguodala, I think, is probably that next biggest reason. Just he looks way different than he did in the regular season. We've talked about that a lot, but so much of our talk in the regular season when this team was struggling on defense was just, they have a lot of like weak spots. You know, Tyler Hero was not good defensively in the regular season. Duncan Robinson is not great defensively. Kendrick Nunn is not good defensively. Um, you know, Goron's kind of, you know, he's he's a veteran and he's savvy, but he, he's still a guy you can kind of pick on a little bit if you have the, the right uh, point guard. Um, those guys all have been you know kind of serviceable at worst for the most part um on defense um and, and i think goron's numbers at least in that milwaukee or in the indiana series i don't know what they wound up in the milwaukee series he was really good defensively um in that first round so how that's that's my big question right now is you know obviously the, the what is yes they have turned around but it, it's pretty astonishing that still with those guys who we kind of had like penciled in as weaknesses all regular season have not, you know, they haven't been played off the court because of their, their defensive deficiencies in the playoffs. Yeah. I think, I think some of it has to do with the fact that Jay Crowder's playing so many minutes now and, and Andre Vidalic too, especially yeah. late in games, which that's where kind of the heat have had the most success in the fourth quarter. They've been dominant defensively. And that's because Jay Crowder and Andre Vidal are usually playing. One of them is usually playing the entire fourth quarter and you have Jimmy and Bam on the court along with them. Um, so they just they're just use, they're finding more combinations that work. Um, but I also think a lot of it is that he can game plan against opponents in the playoffs. And I think sometimes that could hide your defensive deficiencies. Like you saw what happened against Giannis. The Heat's plan was incredible. It worked. Yeah. You know, Giannis, the Heat, the Bucks were actually worse with Giannis on the court in the series. Um, they executed it to perfection, kind of a team defense type of thing. But as soon as Giannis went out. The defense looked bad because they didn't game plan for not to have Giannis, and all of a sudden it was like, okay, back to back to what we were doing, I guess, before in the regular season, and it didn't, you know, it just it just didn't look good. So I think a lot of it is that he can game plan, and Spo's so good at that 
that he's able to find ways to maybe hide some of the individual defensive weaknesses of his team. Yeah, I, I mean, I buy that. I agree with it. Um, I, I've also kind of, I mean, quietly, I guess, railed about this for as long as I've covered the league, or at least pretty close to it, in that I don't really... I can't stand the whole notion that you've got to game plan for things. I mean, these are the best players in the world, right? I think often it's such a crutch. You know, they they just, they to, to coin a spoke phrase in reverse, they let go of the rope in game four. They just yeah. did. I mean, Giannis going out, wild, terrible, and nobody wants to see that. Giannis going out, you should smell blood at that point. And, and they didn't. They were just like, okay, whatever. Um, and there wasn't really a lot of urgency in game five either. I mean, they played well enough, yes. And, and you know, Jimmy was great in the fourth quarter yet again. And, and I mean, you know, guys miss shots. That's fine. Like, you know, you miss shots. That happens. Um but th- this whole notion that you have to game plan for this. I mean, you know, let's say Toronto wins tomorrow night. Good luck game planning, game planning or planning. <laughs> game, good luck game planning for Nick Nurse. Mm-hmm. That guy changes stuff yeah. like every 37 seconds. So there has to become a, a bit more self-responsibility in there, right, about – it's not, I mean, yes, it's hard because you're also guarding the best players in the world, but I mean, and while there is very sophisticated elements and nuance and all these things, NBA defenses, I'm not going to minimize that. It's still, you guard the guy who's in front of you, right? I mean, stay between your man and the basket. It's stuff we're taught as eight year olds. So I I think sometimes we get too in the weeds on this, you know, all, all the sophistication. I mean, at some point, somebody just has to step up individually and say, I'm not going to let my guy score. And that has to be the fundamental premise for all of it. And and I think there have been times, not just the Heat, you see that a lot here. I mean, you just see, you you, you see way too much tipping of the cap to the other team. Well, you know, we, we weren't ready for, you know, we weren't expecting that, whatever it was. No, just guard your guy. It's not that hard. And I think they make it a lot harder than it is sometimes. And I, by they, I mean, Pretty much everybody in the league, not just the Heat. Well, I mean, I think the, the the biggest thing that kind of stood out and it was illuminated when Giannis went out is the talent gap between Miami and Milwaukee. I think was pretty significant. Without, yeah, you know, obviously Giannis in there is the the best player on the floor. But beyond that, I mean, the Bucks had good. You know, they they had a reputation for having good depth all year. Um, the talent gap was pretty significant. I think between. Uh, Miami and Milwaukee like you know Jimmy and Bam became the the two best guys on the court and Chris Middleton was good throughout the series but still those were were the two best guys um, out there for the most part and then I mean was Tyler Hero like the fourth best guy or I guess Goron was the fourth best guy and then Tyler Hero was like the fifth best guy like that that talent gap became that was I think the biggest surprise is you know we we watched Milwaukee you know quite a bit throughout the season just you know they're one of the best teams in the league um and Giannis masks so much of you know what they have in terms of offensive guys who, who just could not you know create at, at the same level these Heat guys can. And, I, and 
all season I was asking myself, and I asked, I think we even talked about it on the podcast months ago, it feels like a year ago, but like, how is Milwaukee doing this? How are they, you know, they, at one point they were on pace to have the best record in, in NBA history. Like they were all time dominant in the regular season. And you see it in the playoffs, like their roster just, I mean, it was a good roster, but it's not, you know, it's not on the level of the Clippers, obviously, or even the Lakers. Like Giannis is really, really good. Uh, but it's like we spoke about last week. He has flaws in his game that you could expose um, in the playoffs. You just can. I mean, the Heat just did it. Like they basically dared him. Okay, you're gonna take outside shots because we're gonna put three or four guys in front of you, and he couldn't make them. I mean, that it's that simple. And once he once you take him out of the game, the the Bucks. Yeah, Chris Middleton's a good player. He's very good, especially in Game Four. He was playing really, really yeah. Well. He he made me a fan uh, in this series. Honestly, I was always kind of yeah. like indifferent on him. He he impressed me. He's a good player, but I mean, Eric Bledsoe, you know, I know he was, he had the hamstring injury, um, but just offensively, he's not the efficient guard, you know, you want next to Giannis, um, especially, you know, shooting, shooting from the outside, like that roster just, whether it was the Heat or the Celtics or even the Raptors, I think the Bucks were going to lose just because I don't think that roster was good enough to come out of the East. I can, I can answer your question though. The, the, the overriding question of how are they doing this? That speaks to how different yeah. the regular season and the yeah. postseason. Yeah, sure. sure. That's kind of been the big storyline from this post, like really from the last couple of years, I would say. Where, you know, Milwaukee also obviously falls short last year after having the best record, but this year especially. And part of it's the you know I'm sure the bubble, like we've the story has been like the way that the scoring has gone up and all that. The playoffs feel so different than the regular season did. Obviously, it's different than than a usual year with the long layoff before it, but. Yeah, playoff basketball is totally different. There's so much more physicality now, as as everybody's seeing. But more more than that, like Giannis saw the wall every single time down the floor. I mean, it was when 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 he would. It was rare. Like when there was a game. It had to still be when I was in quarantine because I was watching on TV. So it must have been game three or four. And he got a good head. Well, it couldn't have been four because he wasn't there for very long. He got a good head of steam, and and Tyler maybe could have stood there and taken the charge, um, and didn't. You know, and Giannis got a layup or a dunk or whatever it was. And like the announcers, kind of called Tyler out a little bit for not taking the charge. And I'm like, that's one. That's a business decision by Tyler. I mean, you know, that's yeah. fine. So in that situation, like the game's not really on the line, like whatever. Um, in the regular season, like nobody would have noticed. It's like, oh my gosh, Giannis going downhill, right? Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's such a lock, and and you didn't see that. I mean, he got hurt on two very unfortunate plays, but the Heat didn't do anything to him on those two plays. On the first one, three guys were like, nope, you got to go through us, and on the second one, Andre Iguodala as smart a guy as there is in this game just was not going to give him space. So Giannis tried to literally go through him mm-hmm. and he took those 57 inch legs of his and tried to go 65 inches and turn the damn thing inward again. And it wasn't a dirt. None of the plays were dirty. None of them. I don't, would, I don't know. I, mean, I think they called a foul on the, on the initial one. I don't know where you where the foul was on that. So it's in, in the regular season, it was very much an Ole. Giannis do whatever right. he wants. We're going to find out for the Bucks. In the playoffs, nobody's playing that way. And there you go. That's 
that's why Milwaukee, I mean, the, the buzz is already so, shout out Barry Jackson for using buzz term, which I think he's copyrighted. Um, <laughs> you owe Barry Jackson $20. The, the buzz is so big in here that Chris Paul is going to be on Milwaukee, going to be a member of the Milwaukee Bucks next year. And, and I can totally see it. And they need that. They need a guy like that. They need, they need a guy who's a killer. Yeah. And who, I mean, Giannis, yes, Giannis scares you for what he does. Sure. But when you look at their roster, Chris Middleton, I love Chris Middleton. Like I, I covered him last year in China at this time at the World Cup when he was on Team USA. Chris Middleton's a great guy and an elite player. And if he wasn't playing in Milwaukee, even with their great record, people would know that he's a great player. Um, Chris Paul on that team, ooh, yeah, that's a little spicy. Yeah, that now, now the whole thing changes. Yeah, because, you know that, and you saw what he did this year with the Thunder. So anyway, that's. That was my very long-winded answer to Anthony's question. At the risk yeah. of making this too Buck-centric and, and repeating like the the kind of another popular storyline, they really could have used Malcolm Brogdon. Just yes. that one more guard. To, you know, it, it feels like Giannis right now. He oh, is he's basically yeah. a center. He's ba- like he, that's the way you have to treat him. You have to act like he's a center on offense. Obviously, you can drive through guys and all that. Like that, that's a strength of his game, but. The Bucks, their game plan, unless he changes a lot going into next year and, and the offseason's shorter, um, their their game plan has to be just try to have him near the rim as much as possible. Because when he gets within seven feet of the rim, like he's scoring. Can um, I sneak one Malcolm Brogdon thing in real quick? Yeah, go ahead. It was noticed when, before game one when he said, we think we can beat this team. Uh, you know, seven months ago when the playoffs started, when he – was talking about Pacers seat and he was like, oh yeah, I think we can beat this team. Uh-huh. That got noticed. And that was basically Malcolm Brogdon's contribution to the series. Like, he just wasn't there in, in the first round either. But yes, the Bucks definitely could have used him. And like you said, Eric Bledsoe was was yeah. not 100% either. But you're right. This is way too Bucks. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go back to the Heat. Um, <laughs> we, we can go a lot of different directions with Heat talk. Um, we talked about the defense. Um should we talk about Jimmy and just he is this is his career like peak at this point. It's pretty, you know. I think when when he came to Miami, we all thought that there was a chance that there would one day be a, um, you know, that he would be like a Heat lifer, like quote unquote, like he would maybe finish out his career in Miami and you know be a, a perennial contender. I I don't think any of us thought it would happen this fast, obviously. Um, but this is, I mean, he is a guy who has gone through. He's had one of the most fascinating basketball careers, maybe ever. Obviously started at a junior college, wound up at uh, Marquette, went from being a role player to being an eventual first-round draft pick. Um, in Chicago was the, you know, Derrick Rose's running mate, and then obviously took over the team there. Had his uh, flame out in uh, Minnesota after being traded. Had the uh, controversial ending last year in Philadelphia, and now it's like he is... I don't know. It feels like he's like the number one star of the bubble. Um, and it's, um, it, like I said, it's his, it's his career accomplishment so far. Obviously, it's the furthest he's ever been um, getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. I know he's like not, you know, obviously he, that's not the end goal for him. But it is a, it's a moment for him and a moment of validation for a guy whose career has been fascinating. Yeah, I, I mean, Jimmy's been a really good player for years now. Yeah. Um, so like what he's doing isn't necessarily surprising. I mean, 
it was interesting. Like game five, he really didn't play well, but he still finished with seventeen. Points right, I say he still shots. led the team with in points, <laughs> rebounds, and assists yeah. in that game. Yeah, and he had seventeen points on six shots, just because he can get to the free throw line so so many times. But um, but I think the most surprising thing, like the revelation, and kind of like what the national media is now clinging to, is is how much his teammates like him, which is the surprising thing, I guess, just because he's built this reputation over the years of being this, you know, guy who his teammates don't like and coaches don't get along with. Like, the Heat like him. His guy, I mean, Goron, the nicest guy on the Heat roster, has become legitimately, like, Jimmy's best friend. Uh, Eric Spolcher and Pat Riley love Jimmy. Um, you, you don't hear any bad thing about him. Um, and I think that's been, like, the surprising thing, I guess, for, for, you know, for people who have not covered this team day in and day out this season is how much – how much you know the narrative has changed, at least internally, with the Heat regarding Jimmy. Tim, I actually want to go to you on this because you cover the league a little, like on a national level, more than obviously Anthony or I do. And and you know, with the AP, you you kind of know. I'm sure people in Chicago, people in Minnesota, people in Philly. Um, is the sense you get that, that Jimmy has changed at all? You know, in terms of maybe like knowing you know people skills and stuff like that. Or do you think it's just totally that this Heat team and Heat culture uh, fit his personality, the personality he's well, always had? Well, it's both. I mean, you can you can actually sort of glean it from the questions that are that he gets and that are asked to him by you know non South Florida media, you know, post game. Um, you know, there is this sense, and I don't know where it comes from, there's this sense that, you know, this is the maturation of Jimmy Butler. This is the evolution of Jimmy Butler. I, I think this is who Jimmy Butler was. I, I think Jimmy Butler wanted to be at a place that, I mean, this is going to sound kind of dumb, but why is it, when does that ever stop me? He, he, it's, every NBA team wants to win, you know, obviously, duh. But I... I think Jimmy's never been with a franchise that wants to win the way that he wants to win until now. I think he, this culture stuff with him, like, you know, we all wrote it at the time. I've rewritten it in the last few days. Anthony, ha- like, it, it's, it's real. It, it's just real. And it just speaks to him. And, and it shows him, Jimmy's one of those guys, I don't know if it's, you know, not to get too psychological, but I don't know if it's part of his background or what he went through as a kid or whatever. Jimmy's one of those guys who is a very much a, a don't tell me how you feel, show me how you feel, show me what you think, show me what you believe. Well, the Heat have shown it. I mean, their commitment to the work is off the charts here. Everybody knows that. And Jimmy's just responded to it. So I don't think this is a changed Jimmy Butler. I think this is just a happier Jimmy Butler. Jimmy found a home. Jimmy found a place where he didn't have to conform to other sets of rules. The way he wants to play the game and the way he wants to think about the game are perfectly in line with what Pat Riley and Mickey Harrison and Eric Spolstra and Andy Ellisberg on down the list have been, have been preaching for 25 years here. It, it's just, even in a bubble, he still found a way to be happy, even, you know, away from his family. I'm on a business trip. I didn't want people here with me. All the things he said, I mean, they're now entering month three of this. And, and, you know, tomorrow is 
the six-month anniversary of when this thing started. Mm-hmm. This pandemic story yeah. started six months ago tomorrow. They've been living in this world for some time, and Jimmy looks as fresh now as he did on October 4th. Like, it, it's crazy. And it's just because he's just happier here. Chicago, Minnesota, and Philly just didn't speak to him the same way Miami did. I, I, think, I think to your point, I think you're totally right. I, I don't really think Jimmy, I mean, obviously I didn't cover Jimmy in Philadelphia, Minnesota, and Chicago, but I, I don't think Jimmy has really changed much. Not I, one bit. Yeah, I mean, you talk to all, all of his teammates and also the same thing. Like, Jimmy, is, he's honest to a fault. Like, he will call right. you out to your face. He's not going to talk to you behind your back. That's not his thing. He's going to, when he has something to say to you, he will say it right to your face, and, and everybody respects that just because that's, you know, again, I don't want to sound cliche, but that's the culture that the Heat has built. Like that's what that's what Eric Spolstra does. I mean, if you talk to if you talk about players, talk to players about Eric Spolstra and his his uh, his ability as a coach, they'll say he's a really good he's really good at just you know communicator as far as telling you what you need to do, what you did wrong to your face. Like it's not there's no confusion. Uh, he's very clear about what he wants, um, and Jimmy's the same exact way. So I I, I just think. They, they re- they've reacted better to who Jimmy is the person. It just fits him better. I mean, he, he has not changed. I, I, I really believe that. And uh, I'm going to go back to the story you wrote yesterday, Anthony, basically this summing up how the Heat got here. And an interesting thing I, I think you pointed out is that Jimmy's stats are basically the exact same as they were in the regular season in terms of like points, rebounds, assists, I think even field goal percentage. Um, I don't know if maybe he has more steals or something like that now because he's obviously – that's noticeable that he's way more active on the defensive end. But it's obviously the way he's doing it, partially through making jumpers. Um, He's very confident right now in his three-point shot, which is uh, he was not, I would not say, in the regular season. Um, But the way he can pretty much, like, it feels like he coasts through the first three quarters sometimes, you know, just kind of making the smart play, deferring to the hot hand, you know, picking his spots when, you know, driving when, when the opportunity presents itself. And then totally take over a game in the fourth quarter. I mean, behind like you know, you, if you're if you're asking me who I want with the game on the line in the fourth quarter to have the ball in their hands, LeBron and Kawhi would probably be like the, the obvious top two. Um, probably. But beyond yeah. those guys, I mean, I think you know, I'd put Jimmy right in the conversation with with guys like Harden and um, Jason Tatum. You know, the guys who are kind of more traditional, like, isolation end-of-game scorers um, just because, one, he's scoring well in the fourth quarter, but also just, like, you know he's not going to, like, screw it up. Like, he's going to make the smart – you know, in the fourth quarter of that game five, um, I I think he scored on, like, eight of the – or scored or assisted on the last eight points before the intentional foul started. Like, mostly getting to the free throw line, but the biggest play that game was probably when he drove – kind of drew – uh, attention and then kick to Goron to hit basically like the game ceiling uh, corner jumper. Like he is going to make the smart play, and then obviously defensively in the fourth quarter he's been great also. Yeah, and and like you said, like now that he's hitting threes, I mean he's shooting nine of eighteen uh, from three point range in the playoffs. Like that adds another element to his offensive package late in games. Um, and just I mean. The way he gets to the free throw line is elite. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He, he's averaging the most free throws among remaining players in the playoffs. 
Um, and that's huge. I mean, that's a huge part of the Heat's offense. When you have a guy who can get to the free throw line 11 times a game um, and can give you, again, like 9 to 10 points from the line a game, that's that's gigantic. And especially late, you know, when games slow down where he's able to, to, to find contact and and get to the line, that's, I mean, that's really important. And, and um, I, I think, you know, it's it's been written about, it's been talked about, but really, it's, it's really an important, important big part of the Heat's offense. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. I think Jimmy late in games, like he's he's obviously he's go to guy, and he's proven that he's a, he's one of those guys in the league that you you turn to to make the right play, whether it's get to the line, make an outside shot, get in the paint, or just find the open guy. He's gonna do it. So here's the six leading fourth quarter scorers so far in the playoffs. Donovan Mitchell, not here anymore. Yep. Jamal Murray. Pretty soon, not to be here anymore. Joel Embiid, not here. Damian Lillard, not here. Porzingis, not here. Jimmy. What he's doing, his true shooting is 770 right now, which is <laughs> in the fourth quarter. That's I mean, he's shooting 88% from the line in the playoffs. He shot 65% from the field in the fourth quarter against the Bucks. He's got the ball in his hands every possession. He's just showing you, one, incredibly tough. Two, incredibly smart. Like, mm-hmm. just makes the right play. I mean, how many times have we heard, in our, between the two of us, let's see, I've done this, for, between the three of us, you guys have been doing this for like, I don't know, like two years each, and I've done this for a thousand years. So between the three of us, we have a thousand and four years of sports writing, right? Between us all, because I'm really old. Sure. You said it, not us. I know, I'm so old. It's ridiculous. Um, I forgot what I was saying. That's how old I am. No, it's we've all heard it so many times that I don't care about my numbers. I just want our team to win. Well, Jimmy Butler believes it. Yeah. Like, just doesn't care. Just, it doesn't all, I mean, here, here's here's where Michael Porter Jr. could be great, but his postgame last night where he's like, I got to get the ball more. It was bad. Yeah. Bro, yeah. that's going to follow you around the rest of your career. Like, that's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. This team, they just don't care. There's no sulking. Kendrick Nunn hasn't played a meaningful fourth quarter minute in the playoffs, has he? I mean, I'm sure he has, but has he played that many of them? Yeah, no. not, not really. Neither is Duncan Robinson, who was like the big, the hottest thing in the league at the end of the regular season. Myers Leonard hasn't played at all. I mean, come on. And, and, and these are the, when you basically have three starters who help you get to where you are, three starters who could legitimately be very upset with their roles right now, and publicly so. And Myers, like, I've got pretty good seats here, right? I don't hear Eric Spolstra. You know who I hear yelling? Myers Leonard. Mm-hmm. Every possession. That's not surprising. Because, yeah, he does have he does have a very deep <laughs> everything. Like, that man is built for that man is built for sound. Yes, <laughs> but like he could be. This is a guy. 
I'm, I'm going in my free agent year. I'm, I'm trying to get, you know, what could be my last big contract. I want to stay. I want to show what I can do. GMs are going to think, whatever. This guy is more active than anybody on the heat bench. Like, they just don't care about the numbers, and that starts from the top down. If Jimmy doesn't care, then how can I? That's got to be the thinking throughout that locker room. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes him such a great closer, is that they can trust him. If he has to go get his... Like, you know, the 40-pointer in game one, the 30-pointer in whatever it was, game three or game four, whatever it was. If he has to get his, he'll get his. If he doesn't have to get his, my favorite play of the Heat season so far, guys, well, second favorite. My favorite play was Tyler's three against Philly. The, the shot he absolutely should not have taken. He pulled yeah. up. last break and transition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, why, why go for the layup down by two? Let's just take a pull-up step back three and, you know, whatever. Tyler Hero in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a Tyler Hero moment. My second favorite play of the season, though, was Jimmy's reaction before Jay even shot the three in game three. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that was just who he is and who they are. Yeah. Well, it's, what was the, the big line after Jimmy's 40 point game was I don't remember who, it might have even Jimmy who said it, where he was basically just told everyone, like, I'm going to shoot every time now. Like, you can do that when there are other games when you decide, I'm not going to shoot at all. Like, I'm just going to make the, the passes. I'm going to let my shooters win it. When you're a guy who teammates know is going to do that when it's the right play, they're also going to trust you when you say, I'm just going to start shooting every time. Definitely. It, it, it's what makes Jimmy unique. It's what makes this team unique. And yes. I, I think Tim explained it perfectly. You know, usually you hear that we don't care about stats. We don't care from, from not good teams. Usually those are like average teams. But this is like a a really good team that has that that's playing with that approach with a star who's playing with that approach and leading the way with that um it's unique i mean you don't see that very much from from playoff teams that that advance this far where literally it could be anybody on any given night it could be duncan robinson with eight threes one game it could be jay crowder with six threes it could be 40 points from jimmy it could be a triple double from bam it could be 28 points from goron and you would not be surprised just because that's what this team is. And and I think that's what makes it so tough. And, I I mean, I, I, I'm one person that I really question whether that could work in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, but it has. It's worked because they're good enough to pull it off. Like, it's not – they're not doing it because they have to because they're just not good enough to rely on one guy. It they're works. doing it because it works. And they're it good works. enough to guard everybody. Yeah. I mean, good luck figuring this out. Like – we, if it is Toronto, and, and I'll credit, I mean, Brad Stevens is a great coach too, but I just like the way Nick Nurse coaches because mm-hmm. they will try everything at any time. If it is Toronto against Miami in the East Finals, I think we literally could see Nick Nurse's head physically explode. Oh, yeah, because he will be trying to keep up at the speed of light. So I, mean, I want to sneak one more Jimmy stat in, which I just love this stat. If you go by, so pretty much, an, I mean, this shows you what he's doing in the fourth quarters and, and how aggressive he's being. Jimmy Butler, of like, of all like the top fifty scorers in the fourth quarter in these playoffs, Jimmy's the only guy who's taken more free throws than he has shots from the field. Wow! Like, I mean, there's other exceptions like, you know, the Diallo kid from the, from the Thunder, but yeah. that, I think that was one, you know, one, you know. You know, an abhorrent game like, like Rudy Gobert's ratio wasn't even you know wasn't even two to one on field goals to free throws. 
then he's taking like 11 free throws for every 10 shots he gets in the fourth quarter. Like he's just attacking, taking the contact. He's so strong. He's, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. He might be the perfect guy for heat culture. He just really might be the perfect guy for it. He's like the second Alonzo Mourning. I mean, Alonzo Mourning kind of was the face of heat culture for so long. Um, and, you know, really what is the, still pretty much the face of it, I think, even even more so than Dwayne, just because of what Alonzo represented. Um, but, I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy's right there with him, right? Like, I, I feel like he's like, a, I know this was the comparison was made in the beginning of the season, but he's like a mini Zoe almost, right? Wouldn't you say? Zoe was so demonstrative. Zoe would flex. Zoe would do all those Zoe things that made him awesome. Um, now, the parallel would be when when Zoe flipped out in game six against Dallas after the chase down block and then he does a little thing on the floor and everyone thought it was a celebration. And it turned out it was just because he was mad at Gary Payton. <laughs> Jimmy would do that. Yeah. Would get mad at guys and do that on the floor, sure. But it's it's a different style. Like, yeah, he's he's the face of it, sure, in the same way that Zoe was and and Dwayne was and now Jimmy is. Mm-hmm. But it's a very different face. I think Jimmy is the Jimmy plays the way Jimmy plays is the closest thing to the way Pat Riley executives. I don't know what the verb would be there, but <laughs> he, he plays the same way that Pat executives. And Dwayne and Zoe were a little more demonstrative. You know, I I I want the smoke, like, and and that's fine. They earned it. I mean, they they. They, you know, Jimmy is, Jimmy wants to win as much as those guys did. And, I, and nobody wanted to win more than Dwayne. Nobody wanted to win more than Zoe. I'm not saying that. But it's Pat, like, with the Heat way, like, the Heat will never, like, the, what they did this year, I don't know who executive the year. I mean, it should be Andy, but it won't be. And it won't be Pat either. Yeah. And, and it should, but they don't care. Like, they just don't care about executive of the year. What they did this year with the trade and the cash. Yeah, it's, else, it's astonishing. It's astonishing. And it, it is the move of the year. And they should win executive of the year. And they won't. And they don't care. And that's how they executive the same way Jimmy Butler plays. I'm just going to keep saying that because I love how stupid I sound saying that. But that's but you know what I mean. Yeah. Tim, Tim I want to ask you a question real quick. Um, do you think Jimmy and – I know Spo loves Dwayne, loves Udonis, and loves, you know, he loved coaching LeBron and and all that. But do you think Jimmy could go down as, like, the favorite player or favorite star he's ever coached? Like, are we heading in that direction? I don't. That's a good one. I I know it's like getting in Spo's head a little bit. But, like, like you make a good point. Like, this is – he's so unique in the way he plays and he represents, you know. So we we have to be very careful how we define this, Okay. I think, like, like like how Pat always said that he and Dwayne were joined at the hip, and then he also said about he and Zoe were joined at the hip, too. That was his saying. I think the favorite player that Spo has ever coached will forever be Udonis Haskell. Udonis, yeah, right. The favorite star, I don't know. Man, if Jimmy pulls this off, and if they drive home with Larry in about a month, I don't know. I mean, it's it'd be re- it'd have to be a very compelling argument 
to tell me that if Spo had a favorite star, and look, we all know he does. He doesn't. We're just yeah. We're just this conversation. Yeah. Um. I I think Jimmy would be the one that Spo would most relate to because there is an understatedness to Jimmy that neither Alonzo nor Dwayne had. They came in with a certain understatedness. Well, Zoe did not even really. I mean, Zoe was. Zoe was kind of larger than life from yeah. the beginning. Dwayne definitely came in understated. And then as he became Dwayne Wade, he became Dwayne Wade. Um, there was an evolution there, but, I mean, he was still the guy and earned everything he got, believe me. Um, but Spo is kind of a run-silent, run-deep guy, too. And and I, I think there's a relatability that he has with Jimmy that he probably didn't share with Shaquille or LeBron or Chris or Dwayne or Alonzo or anyone else whose number is eventually going to hang from the rafters other than UD. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, his story, it's obviously they, they come from very different backgrounds and, you know, Spo is, you know, from like a basketball, NBA, you know, circles, family Jimmy, obviously, you know, a lot has been written about his upbringing and, and how, how difficult it was. But it's sort of the same thing where, like you said, Spo came from the video room. Like, that that's so much of his uh, myth is the way that he worked his way all the way up from the bottom of the coaching ranks uh, to being a guy who I think is indisputable, a top, indisputably a top five coach in basketball. Um, and Jimmy, obviously, the same way, started from Juco, made his way all the way up and... Um, it's, it's kind of, you know, I am not from here in South Florida. I watched, you know, the big three teams from afar. I watched like the 06 championship team from afar. Um, this team is so different than those obviously. And Jimmy is at the core of that. Um, and it's interesting just to see how heat fans have, have obviously, I think they've loved this team all along cause they knew that it was potentially the start of something special. And now that it already is something special, the way seeing Heat fans uh, like react to this team, um, I don't know how it compares. Obviously, the big three and and '06, but but it's pretty fun to watch just how excited um, you know the, the the diehard hardcore fan base is about this team. You guys have to tell me what it's like at home because, and obviously we're all in our cocoons. We're yeah, all that's, that's the problem. Yeah. But I, I'm it's so disappointing, right? That, I mean, whether it was now or May or whatever, if these were normal times or not normal times, like, the fans would be so insane right now. Yeah. Like, it's so disappointing that, I mean, obviously, they we, you can't have games. You can't have fans right now. We all get it. Think of what's going on in our city, though. Kane start tonight. No, no. The Dolphins. <laughs> The Dolphins are going to win the AFC East because Adam Beasley and I say so. The Marlins, although the Braves just scored again, <laughs> the Marlins are fun and have a chance to get in, which is which is phenomenal. And Sixto Sanchez too. I mean, he's yeah, Sixto is when, when your second when your second pitch is filled, that just speaks to how good you are. Um, the Panthers just had a home run hire in, in, in uh, you know, with the GM, mm-hmm. and I truly really think this is finally going to be the year where it all turns around. 
Miami basketball is going to make the tournament when every team's allowed in. They would have this year anyway. They would have been like a five seed. It's such an exciting time right now. And, and of course, 601 Biscayne would be the, the heartbeat of everything. And it just stinks that we can't see how much the fans are, what would enjoy this right now. All we have is heat Twitter and it's so hard to tell on heat Twitter sometimes <laughs> where, where people are coming from. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I was thinking about that, man, like that buck series, get those games in, in the triple a, that would have been, that would have been a fun scene. Um, yeah. but I, I do to David's point, like I, I do think this feels different than other conference finals appearances, just growing up down here because uh, i mean tim you were very, you were close to those teams obviously but those big three teams when you get to the conference finals like it was right, like it was okay, a foregone conclusion like, yeah like okay well, what you have to be now, now the pressure on to make it to the nba finals if you don't make it to the nba finals and the season's a failure like i know the heat want to get to the nba finals obviously like that's you know they they, they don't want to just stop here but this is like you're an underdog you're the first number five seed to make it this far since 2013 yeah. Uh, it's just different. It's a different feel. And even that 06 team that was obviously like the, the core of that was homegrown with um, Wade and, you know, Old Zoe and, and UD. They still like went and got Shaq. Like that was, that's ultimately what put them over the top. This yeah, team is, is different. And James Posey and yeah. Antoine Walker. I mean, they had, right, right. They, they had some guys. Yeah. Um, and that homegrown kid from Marquette. That was. He, he definitely helped, of course. It's uh, I, I think the fans had joy, right? In in six and even oh, yeah, five, obviously, obviously, yeah. 11, 12, 13, 14, they had joy. Um, you know, a cocky Heat fan became a thing in in those years. And they're back, baby. <laughs> but I just hope they're enjoying this too, because yeah. No team in the NBA has been to more conference finals since 05 than the Heat. Like, the Spurs have been to seven as well, but no team's been to more than the Heat. Uh-huh. And yeah, four of those happened in four in a four-year span. But like, the Knicks, the Sixers, the Nets, um, ah, there was a couple others, I can't remember. Like My Washington Wizards. Washington, your Washington <laughs> Wizards was one of them. Have them. They don't go. The Clippers are going to go to the conference finals for the first time ever. E period V period er ever. Yeah. It, it, this doesn't happen every day. And and I just like I know there are probably some that will take it for granted, but you just shouldn't you just you can't take this stuff for granted. And I don't think this team has either. I mean, yeah, they want to see the ride continue. Um there's more of a joy, I think, with this team than there was in 11, 12, 13, 14, just because they had to do it or else. Yeah. Especially after it ended in 11. Um, you know, they all buckled under that. And then I think there was joy in 13. I think the one year where there was joy was 13 because they were just so good. Yeah. And they knew they were going to And that, that's maybe the best NBA finals ever. And, 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 and still, even for that team to be that good, and still need that shot, and then that game seven, which we don't talk enough about. We don't mm-hmm. talk enough about game seven. Um, 
there was joy for that team. This is this this team has the potential to have that much joy. I think fourteen wasn't joyful. Twelve really wasn't until the end. Eleven wasn't at all. Six was when they got good. Um, this has been joyful, kind of from the jump, and it's been yeah. really neat to see. All right, I think we can wrap things up there. Um, but we before, before we go, before we go, I wanted to ask both of you because okay. you guys both are close to the Hurricanes. What's the prediction for the Hurricane season uh, with the season starting tonight against UAB? What do you What do you guys think? Well, on our UM podcast last week, I said they're going to finish somewhere between like second and fifth in the ACC. I think my prediction, my official prediction, was third. I think you know Clemson's obviously the favorite. And then, you know, Notre Dame is good. Um, North Carolina is good. I think those are probably the two teams that you, like, would pencil in as definitely being, like, favored over Miami. Um, but I don't know, man. We haven't seen – it's so weird. Like, there's all this excitement about Derek King, and deservedly so, but, like, we haven't seen him do anything, basically. We saw three spring practices, and we haven't been able to see practice. So I really have no idea. But I think they'll be pretty good. But UAB is pretty good too, so that it, I mean they could lose tonight, and like it wouldn't surprise me. And then obviously people are like freaking out, and probably deservedly so at that point. People are gonna freak out tonight if it's three nothing. Three nothing <laughs> on the first drive. <laughs> and God forbid, the minute this team misses a field goal, it's gonna be just. Kane fan is not. The way that Heat fans are joyful right now, uh, I don't know if Miami fan I've ever seen Miami fans like that. Kane fan is never healthy. I just don't get it. It's it, it has been <sighs> gotta love them, but wow. Um, several thoughts on this that I'll do quickly. The ACC schedule is a joke. Um, I don't understand why some teams are playing are some teams with proximity to Clemson are not playing them and others are. I don't get that. Um, Miami is traveling like 3000 more miles this year in a pandemic than they traveled last season. Um, also makes zero sense. Um, the ACC just is not a fan of the Miami hurricanes. They just aren't, they are not. Um, I'm with David. I think somewhere in that second to fifth window is is fair, probably toward the bottom end of it. Um, you know, Clemson has to be everybody's pick. Um, I think this team, Canes fans need to understand this. This team can lose games this year and still have made great progress over last year, and that's what it's about, right? I mean, it's about getting the program better. Um the recruiting classes, Manny's got it rolling finally. Like, I know that doesn't really mean anything until they get here and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I think they, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they won eight. I, I wouldn't. Um, I, I just think they're going to be a lot better. I do think De'Ara King's the real thing. I, I, I'm certain of yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm I a think, fan. I think, I think Brevin Jordan is going to remind people why this is tight end you. I think the secondary is better than people even probably give it credit for. I think the D line, even without Greg Rousseau, which is crazy to think about, I think the D line is going to do its thing. Um, concerned about the linebackers. Sure. I know the O line looks better. I, I want to see it. Um, 
you know, before we start saying the O lines is so much better, I, I don't know if they're. You know, I, don't, I don't know. We don't know if it is yet or not. And and by the way, yeah, they could lose tonight. I mean, UAB is good, well coached, already have played a game. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't think tonight will be easy. I mean, if it's like thirty to twenty, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, yeah. and you have to remember, this is. This is game one, so I, I hope if it's a game tonight, Canes fans don't go crazy because recruit, see your tweets, people. Um, but th- they're going to be better. They're going to be better in what Manny has done. Manny won the offseason again. Now it's time to do it on the field. I don't expect a ring this year. I don't expect a natty. Um, but I do think they're they're going to be better and they're going to get closer to the ultimate goal. That's what they had to do this year, and I think yeah. that's where they're going to go. Yeah, it has to be a stepping stone season going into this recruiting class, and then you know by like twenty twenty three or whatever, you hope you're like a real contender. So that's that's why we're the most versatile Herald podcast there is. Yes. we you know we come for the heat talk. You get hurricanes predictions. You get ten minutes of Canes talk discussion. Next week it might be Dolphins, it could be Panthers, it could be Marlins. We should we should do this. We should do this. Covered Dolphins. We said Beasley and I have a win in the AFC East. You yelled at me for saying the Panthers were going to be good. Um, we covered the Marlins six though. We covered six though, so that's you know we covered the Marlins. Yeah, we got it all. We hit on everything. I think we can wrap it up there. I think soccer is going to be a lot better this year too. <laughs> Who is that? Canes women's soccer. Oh, Canes women's soccer. Yeah. All right, uh, let's wrap things up there, though, before we uh, before we dive into, like, Little League, uh, uh, the Tropical Park Little League scene. Um, thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, we will talk to you guys next week. You can follow Anthony on Twitter at Anthony underscore Chang. You can follow Tim Reynolds at by Tim Reynolds. He's in the bubble, so he's got all your scoops from uh, Lake Buena Vista. Beautiful Lake Buena Vista, uh, we should say. Yeah. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at dbwilson2. Uh, it is a busy, busy time for Miami sports, so just be sure to go to miamiherald.com. Um, we've got four of our like big teams, five, I guess, if you got enter Miami, of our big teams in action, I think, plus high school football. Um, like you said, Panthers made a GM hire. There, there's a lot of stuff going on. So thanks, as always, for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>